Hey there, welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits, coming to you from the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Hey everyone, this is Liza, and uh, we're doing things a little bit different today because I am alone in the studio. Nobody else here. I've been <laughs> abandoned. Abandoned, I say. But that's Bunch okay. of slackers. That's okay, because I can always rely on Bagel. Howdy, greetings from the Pacific Northwest. Yes, hey Bagel. And you brought on one of our favorite stunt misfits. I did. (laughs) You did. We've got the superhero herself. It's Steph Yu. Hi. Hey Steph. I'm here. I'm also in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. (laughs) Yeah, so you've been here on our show before and um you've been to pakistan with me and mm-hmm. you just keep traveling so where where do you live now steph uh currently i live in a van a self-converted sprinter van uh that is parked outside of bagel's place <laughs> you're still going when are you coming down here uh actually i'm headed to california tomorrow <laughs> Woo! well you know you're yeah. always welcome to to stay here i've got room for you um so i have some pretty big news Oh. It arrived. The Nikon? The Nikon is here. Ooh, have you ridden it yet? Just around the neighborhood. But I let everyone else ride it today. So, um, (laughs) Steph, do you know what a Nikon is? I do not. If you type in motorcycle plus abomination, this is what comes up. Oh, (laughs) great. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's... um, it has two front ends. Oh, what? Well, oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is why it's an abomination. So it's, first, it's I wanted the, to, I wanted it's to get MP three of the motorcycle world. Well, oh, but it's geez. not self balancing. But yeah, well, so the MP three. Yeah, so um, yeah. Uh, I wanted to first give a big thanks to Scotty, the rock star who took the gold wing that was here that I bought as part of this whole trade left here yesterday in a rainstorm, went oh, to wow. Arizona, dropped it off, got on the Nike and turned around and came back and was here the, early this morning. Man. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I iron butted like 1500, 100 miles, something like that. But I don't know if it counts wow. if you bought bikes. Well, if, well, if, if you're going one way, you could do it on one bike and then to get a second iron butt on the way back on another bike. Mm. Oh, bagel, your, uh, your, your uh, echo is getting really bad again. And I think it is oh. what's happening is um, her mic has less of a delay. So it's almost coming through before your audio comes through. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So as long as you can, um, I don't know. Maybe if I keep it. my voice down. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Because you're you're coming through that. pretty clear, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, so I got it, and it is farkled out. Um. The owner had put all sorts of SW Motec stuff on it. Really cool. And I did get the report from Scotty. I said so. This would be a great comparison ride. Goldwing or a Nikon, which was more comfortable. You want to guess which one uh, they preferred? 
Mm. I don't even know what the Nikon looks like. So, I mean, it, it has two front ends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's all I. <laughs> wow. I vote a Goldwing. You would I, I'm think. Gonna say the, I, I'm going to say the Nikon. You would think, but uh, they liked the Nikon a lot better. Um, just mm-hmm. more comfortable, more their style, more fun. Um, yeah. So, so is it just like a croc, the crocs of motorcycles where it is just a hideous thing, but it's very comfortable? <laughs> no, it's not that it's a hideous thing. It is basically, so it uses the Yamaha triple uh, nine hundred engine that's used in so many bikes. So this is basically the, um, uh, shoot. It's their sport touring something GT. I'm blanking. If, uh, not, I'm blanking on it right now, but, the MT09 and the FJ09, they all use this. Um, but then it just has two front ends. Um, and they it's kind of got a soft suspension. So, I mean, when you're riding it, it doesn't feel like you've got three wheels. You're not pushing against it. It feels like you've got one wheel. And uh, you can ride it on the racetrack. You can drag a knee. You can get it so low. That's how much it... Hmm. The the suspension split. Yeah, so it has this uh, cross member in between that lets them uh, pivot. So rather than them having to do, oh, that does. It's hard to it's hard to explain. We're still like poking at it. Yeah, how do you work? That is a strange, apocalyptic looking bike. Yeah. (laughs) So. but I've been oh, letting everyone yeah. ride it. Charlie wrote it. James wrote it. Doug wrote it. And they just come back and go, weird. Mm-hmm. But Charlie said the same thing I said the first time I test rode one. And when I test rode one, I was like, wow, I could I could own one of these one day. Sure, why not? Like, it's a capable bike. And Charlie said hmm. the same thing. I'm like, aha, I know. Yeah. It's if anything, it's just um more weird. It looks weirder than it rides. It rides mm-hmm. very normally, but the point is that it gives you twice the contact patch, so it gives you more confidence in trusting your front end. It, it, I, I think it does in certain situations, though, because the 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 size of the contact patch is not necessarily the only factor, because. The the size of the contact patch is is important, but it also depends on the conditions and how much adhesion you have. Because when you have a certain amount of weight, a bigger contact patch does not necessarily give you more traction. It could actually cause you to lose traction because you you have fewer pounds per square inch pressing against the asphalt, right? So if it's... I'm going to just cut you off and say that's your theory, but the actual engineers who designed this, I think used a little more physics to to create right and 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 i think but that's what i'm saying is in certain situations like where you're on a a warm track when the tires are hot on a hot day it's going to stick like nothing else that's going to be amazing but when when you have when you hit a patch of leaves or gravel right you have twice the contact patch you're much less likely to you right you have twice the contact Right, you have twice the contact patch, but maybe only twenty percent more weight in the front end. And also so think about you, the, the braking. Well, hold up. You, 
that's that's irrelevant because if you lose if you lose traction, braking doesn't help you at all. What I'm saying is that with with twice the contact patch and and only twenty percent more weight, that means you have less pounds per square inch on those front tires. So in an adverse condition, you're actually riding lighter on those front front tires. So if you hit leaves or gravel, I would be concerned you might actually slip out more easily. I am no uh, scientist or mathematician, but I'm just going to make up some numbers that sound plausible to me. Whereas okay, on one wheel, you have the potential for 100% traction. And on two wheels, I'll say maybe your potential is 140%. I'm just going to throw out a number, which sounds plausible to me. You have the greater potential. I didn't say 200 mm-hmm. because let's reduce because of what you just said, right? So there's no point. Right, but there's no it, point it debating on the it. Condition. Do, do your okay. research. Do your research, Bagel. It's I, pretty I, cool. And I, and oops, people enjoyed it. And cool. um, well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's. I'm not saying it's a bad bike, and I'm sure that it is a lot of fun. Um, but I, but I think that there are certain limitations that it's gonna, you're going to find in certain situations. Um, but that's just my take. Yeah. Well. It, we'll see. So, so far, I mean, I, I mean, I have to take it out for a ride, but it was here and people got to ride and that was fun and cool. And we'll see. I'm going to put it to the long-term test. That's, that's okay. how we do here. Um, in yep. other news, I wanted to share a conspiracy that I've been working on. Oh yeah. Uh, I think there's a conspiracy that all automotive manufacturers are involved in. They are lying to us. That's well, right. Well, that's a given. <laughs> they are all lying to us. And yeah. um, I'm going to call on people to verify their, for themselves because I did a little test. And I went out and had a GPS unit on my bikes and looked at the speedometer. When the GPS unit said I was doing 50 miles per hour, I looked down to see what it was actually reading. My um, scrambler, the Triumph, read 51 miles per hour. Not accurate. Mm -hmm. Uh, The KTM 690 read 52, not 50. And the GPS is much more accurate. Um, Now, we tested two more bikes. My Elite 250 scooter and Knox Gixxer 750. You want to guess... One of them was spot on accurate. You want to guess which one? I'm going to guess the Elite 250. You would be correct. Because <laughs> it's a Honda. Well, mechanical. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, when I looked up, the requirements were that a manufacturer cannot have the actual speed be higher than what's posted. So if you're doing 52 miles an hour and it says 50, like bad, bad news. They are not allowed to be incorrect so that you're going faster than you think you are. But there is a range that manufacturers um, only have to be within, I believe in this, I I didn't do the exact math, but it said something effective, 110% plus five is is the the range they're allowed to be in. Because I noticed wow. when I was riding in England on that Triumph Tiger that 
it was off by like seven kilometers an hour, like a lot. Seven kilometers higher than the actual speed? Yeah, yeah. It's always going to post higher. Say you're doing faster. We're always going slower than we think. We're never going faster than we think. Oh, I see. We're Hmm. always going slower than we think. And this is the conspiracy. Right. Okay. Right, right, right. And I can can speak to that for Vespas because pretty much every modern Vespa does... It's literally like ten percent uh, shows you're going ten percent uh, faster than you actually are. So if it That's, says fifty, you're only doing forty five. Yeah, I thought it was actually like closer to ten percent optimistic. For yeah, most exactly. Bikes. Um, yep. But I thought that only started uh, in the seventies or eighties. Eighties. Um, it's definitely it's very noticeable on the Vespas, and it's more noticeable on modern bikes. Yeah, they can be quite out of out of spec so to speak um the thing that's interesting is things so they used to be this the what do you call it, the mechanical speedometer on the wheel but now it's going to the engine and doing revolutions and and it's all programmed to the size of your wheel so if your tires are under or over inflated it can change it and just the wear of the tire by millimeters oh, yeah. changes it or if you put a different model tire on that has a slightly different tread pattern. Yeah, I thought that's what people were doing to uh, the Vespa GTS. And they can actually make it about accurate by running uh, I think an oversized tire on the front. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know what that's like to ride with. So yeah, I, I find it kind of fascinating how the range that things may be off. So I just wanted to like put it out there to listeners test your bikes just uh many gps or just your phone has apps speedometer apps whatever it uses the phone i want to know like what's the worst out of spec but yeah the jixer um when it was doing when we were doing 50 it read 53 so knock thinks he's faster than he actually is mm-hmm. yeah and the, and the amazing thing is that i was riding alongside on the elite 250 tracking yep He's like, can that thing get up to 50? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, An yeah. honest 50. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I, I'm curious. I want to go try my cars now. I'm curious if there are any that are spot on. Like, I want to try my mom's Tesla. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if I, things could calibrate. I guess you they, know, I, I, I think car speedometers tend to be more accurate, at least from my experience. Um, I know the, the speedometer in my my uh, minivan is pretty pretty much dead on. I find it interesting that they're allowed to have that wide of a range, but but the, I, I don't know if the conspiracy then comes from the government who wants us driving slower than we think uh, we are. No, I think he, it's probably just the, the fault of lawyers, like most things. <laughs> lawyers well no but that's why they allow such a wide range of of it right correct but they don't want to take the chance of the speedometer going and showing under what you're actually right uh, going at yeah no i can't do that can't do that right so because the lawyers don't want to have to deal with that um they they that's why they encourage the this the um uh, the speedometers to read uh, a higher speed than they actually are traveling so that there is some buffer room in case somebody puts on a, an oversized tire or something like that. 
that somehow that the manufacturer still won't be held liable. Oh, you think it comes down to lawyers. I'm I, I'm sticking with my government conspiracy theory. And because we don't know like different governments, because that in UK that triumph was way off. I think maybe they have a, a higher allowance. I'm just saying, which then I can argue, how did I get a speeding ticket when my speedometer was off that much? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But um yeah, I wanna I wanna hear from people and to see how how far off it is for them. Like I want to see if there's some that are really off because mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting when you compare. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's, there's some wide variety out there. And I mean, personally, and I'm in, I'm impressed that this, you know, 40 year old elite two fifty with probably 20 year old tires is still spot on. Right. Well, that's because the, that's from before the lawyers got involved. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you think. That's what I think. <laughs> Well, yeah. So, yeah, let us know what you think and go ahead and send us an email at motorcyclesandmisfits at gmail.com. Let us know what your speedometer is lying. How far off is it? Is this a conspiracy? I think it is. That's all I have to say on that matter. But uh, what I have up next for you is not a conspiracy at all. This is not. This is a pure fact, well, or so we are to believe. It has not yet been proven, has it? We will we will find out because the story will come out. But um, joining us, we have a, actually a very special guest who I hounded to get onto the show. <laughs> I hounded. And, uh, oh, just so you know, you are muted. We can't hear you just yet. Um, and I was like, this is an amazing story, and it's something that, especially uh bagel who's traveled all over and steph who you went steph how far did you go on your scooter um i went mostly around north america yeah you- uh so the distance i'm not really sure there's seventy eight thousand miles on that bike and you i think you new. think you're hot you think you're hot i'll tell you what i got somebody who's hotter than you steph but the one thing that we all have in common with this person is that we're all friends with Moin Khan. Awesome. So joining us is brand new Guinness World Record holder, not yet certified, not yet stamped, but it will be soon, Bridget McCutcheon. Hey, Bridget. Hi. Hey. So you got Steph and Bagel, and we are all Hello. friends of Moines. We've Hello. all been to Pakistan. So you you got to get the royal treatment there, didn't you? I did. I stayed with um, – well, Moines actually had to go off and do something else. So I, I hung out with Moines' wife quite Anne? a bit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she, awesome. And she's actually back here in the Bay Area now, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Our parents uh, live out here. Well, Bridget, you did a crazy thing. So let me, I'm just going to start with a couple of facts. So please tell us the actual record that you went for. So the record title is youngest person to go around the world on a motorcycle. Person. 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 Not man or woman. That is person. awesome. And uh, how, how old are you today? To, today I am 23, but I was 20. 
22 when I completed the record. And that is relevant. Yes. Because when did you turn 23? On the 16th. Yeah. yeah. So you had to get in by a certain date, didn't you? Because wasn't the current record holder 23? Yes. But he was he was 23, almost 24. Right. So got him beat. So (laughs) yeah. Technically, Guinness does categorize it for like youngest man and youngest woman. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just we'll give you person. I wanted to beat everybody. Yep, that's awesome. And you and you did. So let's go back. Um uh let's go back to just to the beginning. Uh how you got this crazy idea. I think your brother was involved in this. Am I right? Yeah. He leave was... it to to a brother, right? Give you stupid ideas. Mm-hmm. No, it was absolutely <laughs> no, it was his idea. And um I think it was a good idea. So I ran with it. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened is Thomas was like, hey, you want to you want to do this thing? I'm too old to do it. And I was like, sure. So would you say you're a small town girl with big city dreams? I am. I am a small town girl with big world dreams. I I can't say I'm much of a city person. I am more than I used to be. But yeah, you're you're what come from like farmland in, in, in Wisconsin, isn't it? Yeah. If I if it was not so dark outside, I'd show you at the window. But it's 140 acres of no one else around. <laughs> oh wow! Wow. So your brother said, "Hey, you should do this thing." Had you been riding motorcycles up to that point? A little. I got my first motorcycle when I was 19. Um, oh. It was a 2000. No, it was a yeah 2004. Kawasaki Ninja 250. Ah, excellent. She's just a wee girl. (laughs) And I first, I got it in fall of 2020, I think. And then I didn't ride it much that year. But the next year, I rode it to Washington. And then I can't remember if it was that year or the next summer. Wait, Washington State? Yeah, Washington State from Wisconsin. And I went... I went more than 24,000 miles that summer while working a full-time job. Oh, wow. All right. So Bagel and Stephanie are scooter riders. So they're crazy like you. It makes Scooters. sense. <laughs> I have a friend in Turkmenistan, I think, on a scooter mm-hmm. right now. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. So you got this crazy idea. And is this the type of thing where you spent months or years planning? Or is this one of those things where you're like, fuck it i'm just getting i'm going um if you don't if you haven't done it before i'd spend at least a year figuring it out okay. well maybe happier most of it was like getting everything together and getting all the parts and like sponsors and stuff um excuse me but i think i i planned on leaving in may first but originally the plan was different than what it ended up being and that happened a few more times but i i think i spent like a year and a half planning before i actually left wow well we are all friends with uh elspeth beard have you heard of her yeah i've met her actually you met elspeth great did you go to her water tower i have not i have not but i will Um, yeah i I was there this summer so i'll probably swing by Um, the water tower and and 
just to point out, like, what a difference, because you're saying, yeah, I just, I'm just this farm girl, and I'm going to tell everyone I'm going to go around the world and get sponsors, and it happened, as opposed yeah, to when Elspeth did dude. it, and nobody believed that it was possible. No, nobody cared. And that, um, I read her book, and it just made mm. me so mad, because yeah. I she had such a hard time of it. And, like, I had my own stuff, but nothing, nothing compared to what she had to go through. And she did it for two years. Yeah. I did 15 months and she did for two years. No one cared. She didn't have spot. She built all her own stuff. And I did like, initially I did a lot of that. Like I made, um, I have like a custom skid plate that I made. And then later, um, someone else helped me, but like custom crash bars and all that, but she made her own panniers and all this. She's a badass. You know, she was in Pakistan with Stephanie and I. I heard that. Yeah. It's a small um, world. We're me. all yeah. connected. <laughs> yeah. Linda yeah. was telling me about that. Yes, exactly. Well, and that's how I kind of found out about you was through Linda and a bunch of my friends who all went to Pakistan mm-hmm. with me, who I don't know how they found out about you originally, but I kind of like checked in and I know, I know you'd already been here out, but I think the first time I heard was there's this girl in Chile who needs help. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that in a second because then they they came to help. But mm-hmm. um, so you planned and how did you choose your route? What was the criteria for the route? So there was requirements from Guinness, which so the main requirements were um, I had to cross the equator at least once and I had to go to over two antipodal points and I had to go to a minimum of twenty four thousand nine hundred miles. So it's not like I could just go. Like I had to go south, right. either South America or like very, very Southern Asia. Um, and so that dic- those were the things that dictated anything in my route. Um, so I ended up going to South America to Ushuaia because why not? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Ushuaia nice. is the Patagonia area is really, really beautiful. Honestly, South America. Um, for just raw and copious amounts of beauty and like natural stuff that has no- nobody around. It's the best for that. Just cause you, it's like an entire continent. If you go inland, especially um, like Argentina and Peru, there's, in- there's sort of infrastructure there and there's definitely people around, but you just, it's like the best parts of Europe, but less people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> well summed up. So you where you, you have to look at seasons as you're going around, right? You got to avoid like monsoons and winters and all that. Mm-hmm. So you created a route. Were there any like countries that you're like, oh, I wanted to see that. I've always wanted to see it that you made as a goal. Our Ireland. Oh, which I, is not really on the way. No, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not but at it, all. It really worked out because I, um, I knew I wanted to go to Ireland. I've always, ever since I was a little girl, the countries I was most excited about um, were Ireland and Argentina. Cause my best friend growing up was Argentinian and then like family roots are in Ireland and Scotland. And I've always really wanted to go ever since I was a young girl. 
Um, and it really worked out because I was, when I went over to Ireland, I had to go to the UK and I ended up meeting my now boyfriend there. Ah. Um, so I believe I, he's near you right now, isn't he? Is he no, so close he had by? To go home. He had, oh, he left. Oh. So you met you met your beau on the road? I did. Was this a gas station hookup? No. no. <laughs> um, he had when I was in Argentina, I had mess I had put up on like my socials. I was like, hey, I'm this is sort of my route. And then everybody freaked out because it was like a very bare minimum route. And they're like, you have to go here, you have to do this. And he just he messaged me and was like, Hey, if you're coming through the UK, like there's a network here if you want. I can give you information. It wasn't like you need to do this. You need to do that. Um, So I sort of remembered that. And then when I came to Europe and to Spain, we have a mutual friend, um, Rebecca. And she was like, when you're going to the UK, you should meet Rory. And I was like, all right. And so then we started talking a little bit. And then when I met him in person, I'm like, yeah, he's pretty cool. Nice. Well, you were relying on people to and support throughout this trip so i know so you weren't traveling alone uh, at the beginning right no uh kiva was it Mm -hmm. kiva right yeah so you're traveling two of you and traveling down and i know in chile that was a hard harsh reality was that the first like real thing you had to deal with Mm, that was the hardest like I think that was the most stressful thing that's happened to both of us at the same time. Um, And that was our, there was a first and only fight that happened from that. Um, Well, tell everyone what happened. So we got robbed in, in Chile. It wasn't, it was completely our own stupidity. There was no one to blame but us. Um, there was even warnings on like I Overlander and stuff. People get robbed in this parking lot. Um, so we went into a grocery store and we kind of become complacent because there were so many people in South America that were just so awesome. And um, and then a bunch of our stuff got stolen, <laughs> mostly Kiva. So Kiva's stuff is all like she's very organized and all of her stuff looked very organized. And mine looks like a pile of crap strapped on top of a motorcycle. <laughs> That's why you pack um, the dirty underwear on top. Yeah. Well, I have the I have the the Moscow Reckless eighty, so there's a bunch of straps everywhere, and everything's buckled mm. all the hell. And she had the Scout, so it's just like sort of buckled in, and there's a bag. And you just take it out. Uh, so all of her stuff was gone. Oh man. Um, and then and then we freaked out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so are we talking like clothes, camping gear? Yeah, passport? all of her. She had like her passport, her laptop. Okay, good. All of her like really essential stuff. But she she was really attached to everything else because it was like her organic sunscreen or something. And she's very conscious about what she puts in and on her body. And so having all of that taken away was really hard. And there was like a, a handkerchief from her grandfather who's passed away and like uh-huh. stuff that's not replaceable. Yeah. Um, I got my tank bag stolen, but that was it. They didn't even, I left my helmet on the handlebar 
with my Garmin and a big battery pack inside the helmet and they didn't, they didn't touch it. Wow. So you guys uh, were like, what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, We, you know, we panicked a little bit. Um, And then I was like, all right. Yeah. I was, we were basically like, all right, what do we do? Um, And so I like, I put something up and I was like, you know, this is what happened. And then, oh, you have a cat. That's yes, so there's a cat in the studio. Um, then I set up a GoFundMe so that Kiva could have a way to replace her stuff. Because she was, she has a remote job, but she was, the entire time we were gone, living on like a shoestring budget. <laughs> Sorry, the cat just stepped on the soundboard and hit some, <laughs> some buttons. Um, so, so you got this like, all right, uh, my stuff is gone. And she wasn't going around the world with you. She was just doing yeah. part of this trip. Yeah. Which is really just, nice when you're starting out to have a companion. Oh, yeah. No, and she knew way more about traveling because I had never, never left the States up until that point. Yeah. So um, you you put out this this story hey our stuff was stolen and i know it was about the time that a group of my friends we mm-hmm. call chickastanners uh <laughs> had were heading down to chile for a trip yeah and then so the next i can't i think it was the next day linda mm-hmm. reached out to us and she was basically like hey i saw your stuff there's a group of friends and i going through santiago on a like delay, like a uh, mm-hmm. what do you call that? Stop, flight stop. Yeah. Um, layover. layover. That's what it yeah. is. Um, and if you want or if you need, we can bring you stuff. And this was perfect because then Kiva could get like real camping gear from the states, and like her her friends and family had extra stuff. And then our sponsor Moscow, who really stepped up for us, they replaced all of her stuff. Oh, nice. They, they gave her new wow. bags. Um, they gave her like a thermal layer. They really came through. And then um, another sponsor, Dainisi, gave her like riding gear and all this. So my, my sponsors were really kind and they sort of like took her into the fold and, you know, the motorcycle community really stepped up. Her GoFundMe was full and then some within a day. Wow. And it was just, you know, it was just awesome because you, and you you hear about this all the time. Something happens to a motorcyclist and yeah. like this happened to Moyne. He crashed his bike really well. Yeah. <laughs> and then he had people sending him parts from all over. Yeah. The riding community is pretty amazing how it comes together like that. So how far did Kiva travel with you? She did um, from Baja, Mexico. So we met up in San Diego and then all the way to Ushuaia and then back up to Buenos Aires, Argentina. And then I did Western Europe by myself. And then we met up again as her as a backpacker in Norway. And oh, wow. then we bounced around for a little bit. She would go other places and I, she was like in Europe and then I would, we would meet up at certain points. And then in Germany, she got a, a fresh bike from Kawasaki, Germany. 
which was very nice, oh, nice. of them. Yeah. Well, and, and, then, and we didn't even say the bike that you chose for this trip. As you're planning, one might think, I mean, other than these nutcases who will travel anywhere on a scooter, um, one might think, oh, maybe a GS1200 or a Tenere, something appropriate. No. What did Goldwing. you choose? Yeah. <laughs> no, I have a... Um, 2020 Kawasaki versus X300. So nice. yeah, she's just, she's just a wee like girl. A great bike. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great bike. It really is. It's super solid. And I'm sorry, but I do not have the money for a Tenere <laughs> yeah. or a GS. And honestly, I am so, up, I'm so upset at the motorcycling world right now Ooh. because I got on a dirt bike for the first time in um Kali isn't it Kali it's a it's like the highest pass mountain pass in Europe mm-hmm. it's in Italy um Torrest no Bagel have you done that I don't think I have right anyway no. but I got I got Not on yet. a dirt bike and I was like why why have I been riding this giant <laughs> machine around <laughs> for no oh, for no reason awesome. other than people told me and don't get me wrong I think the bike I had was perfect um, for me learning because it was mostly, honestly, mostly road miles. There was quite a bit of places like roads that might as well have been off-road. Yeah. Um, and it did fine on trails and stuff, but it's just so much easier on a dirt bike. <laughs> and there are plenty of, you know, 400s that you can strap 80 pounds of gear to and be just fine. And you have yeah. you have tons of clearance. You can take the bags off. You can practically pick the thing up. And I'm just so upset because everybody tells you, like, oh, you need this big adventure bike to do this. And, like, you guys, you're doing it on scooters. <laughs> yep. Anyway, yeah. that's my But they're, they're pretty comfortable scooters. scooters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> scooters are actually pretty capable until you get into the big ruts. <laughs> Yeah, so so it's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then it'll just it'll stand up on its own. It's great. Yeah. It's <laughs> auto balancing. I, mean, I imagine you can probably strap a rope to it and pull it out yourself. Possibly, depending on how how loaded down you are. But yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if you okay, so if you like took all the gear off and put it on the other mm-hmm. side of the puddle or whatever, could you like? Right. Well, look. Just so you know, there's different like. You know, the big bike riders look down at like somebody on a Versus 300 and go, they're nuts, right? And then you may be looking at like the scooter guys and go, well, they're nuts. And then they're looking <laughs> at Moyne who toured on a Vespa 50 through the mountains mm-hmm. and go, well, he's nuts. There's many layers. And then there's like uh, the guy going who went around the world on a monkey bike. I mean, there's many layers. But I think that the bike you chose is actually quite appropriate. And I believe yeah. you didn't have any issues with it at all, did you? None. None at all. And that is the wow. thing. Oh, that's awesome. I, the only problem I ever had with her was one leaky fork seal. Not even two, one. Oh, and she has a name, doesn't she? Mab, yeah, Mab. What does that stand for? So it's, it was the name of my horse growing up. Oh. And I always wanted to do, like, there's a town farther away from me. It's called Bayfield. And I always wanted to do, like, uh, a trip on her. And I never, and I never got to, so. I named my motorcycle after. That's sweet. Wow. So you're going around, you had the problem in Chile and the community came to you. You go over to, from there, you went over to Europe. Where'd you go from 
Ushuaia. <clears throat> yeah, we want to uh, back up to to Buenos Aires, which okay. is you know like Argentina's capital city. We did tango in Buenos Aires, which if you know, you know, it's pretty cool. And so, did you have to make all the arrangements uh, in advance for shipping the bike? Mm, relatively. So we used Dakar Motos, which are they're out of Buenos Aires, and it was super easy. I right. contacted them. I think like a month. I contacted them in Colombia, which I did not need to, because most if you give them like a week's notice, yeah, most of the time they're they're, they're fine. There are some seasons that they don't ship, but most of the seasons that they don't ship in, you shouldn't be there. So and so, when you get to get off the bike and onto a plane, was that a relief? Just to have it's a different very stressful because my motorcycle wasn't there. <sighs> <laughs> and I think this is something that we can all relate that. to. I definitely feel that. Yeah, I was going to yep. say, I think we can all relate to when, like, just even for me, just driving around the, the country and, like, your world is your bike is on your bike. Like, I feel right when I'm on the bike. And if I'm away from it, it's like, oh. Well, it's, it's all your stuff. It's it's real. It's your home. Like, it's, it's all, yeah, it's your home. It's, it's your world. Everything yeah, you have definitely. in the world. And, like, it was Easter when I got to Spain. So there was a holiday. So I didn't get it back for. They don't mess around with Easter in Spain, do they? <laughs> they <don't>, holidays? <laughs> uh-uh. Any, any chance the Spaniards get, they're taking holidays. I love those guys, though. They're great. Um, don't ask them to rush, but they are very fun. So you're meeting people right. along the way. You meet you meet a, a young gentleman caller and going around. Were you did you like have things set up and was your community growing online? So you're kind of coordinating things as you're traveling? Um a lot in Europe. I had quite a few people that I had talked to online for a while in Europe. Like there was um, I can't remember her last name, but there is a woman, Vanessa, in, and she's in the Netherlands right now, I think, or she was. And there was people, there was a bunch of people like in Spain, the Netherlands, the UK, Ireland, Norway, Germany, that I had either met or have been talking to while in South America. Um less they were sort of people that other people set me up with but that i didn't know in like the middle east and i don't think there was anyone in asia that that happened with but so let me ask you this what were some of the harder countries the ones you didn't enjoy as much and i'm not not trying to um you know, step on, you know, or, 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 or diss any countries, but sometimes it's just the bureaucracy of traveling getting your bike through. There can be like, I know, you know, Elspeth talked about India being a nightmare just because of all of that. So what were countries that you struggled with? I think the country I've struggled with the most was Pakistan. Mm. Um, mm. Northern Pakistan. Great. Amazing. Up in the yeah. mountains, like pretty much, um islamabad north yep that's where we've all traveled yeah but from 
um, Lahore down, mm-hmm. like from. Did you go all the way to Karachi? Yes. Oh, to oh, the wow. port, to the beach. Oh no, I don't. I didn't go all the way down there, okay. but I had to. I was trying. Mm. I went to Kuwaita, and then I had because Kuwaita is like sort of just out of the desert ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I had to go over, like down and over because of the levees and escorts because there was something going on with Afghanistan at the time. Mm. Right. So I had to spend like, and there was, there was an escort of two people on a scooter and they were going 15 miles an hour for two hours. Oh no. (laughs) And it was, I don't think, I don't think I was, okay. I don't think it was quite two hours. I think it was just an hour, but it felt like two hours. No doubt. (laughs) And it's, it's just so hard to go that slow. And, you know, when they were going, you know, 80 kilometers an hour, 50, I was getting great gas mileage. Okay, I'm not really in a rush. It's fine. But. (laughs) All right. So, so Pakistan, not so great. Pakistan, Chile, obviously. Yeah, not so great. But most of that wasn't Chile's fault. I just, Patagonia area of Chile, really cool. Northern Chile. Don't bother. So I didn't ask you this. Are you camping everywhere? Are you couch surfing? Like, where are you you putting your head every night? In South America, I camped a lot. Me and Kiva camped a lot. Um, Central Mexico and Central America, it was really hard because there was a lot of people. And there wasn't, like, roads that went to nowhere. And it's not normal there to camp. So it was really hard. Um, And hotels and accommodation are so cheap. Europe, I camped a lot in Europe and everybody was like, you can't camp in Europe, blah, blah, blah. It was so easy everywhere. Lots um, of farms. Lots of farms. <laughs> there's the tets in Europe. It's really easy to just like pop on the tet for a little bit. Like in Spain, mm-hmm. I camped a whole bunch. I think I paid for accommodation two or three times, maybe. And I was either staying with people or camping. And I would think I was in Europe for two or three months. Wow. So then, all right, oh. you went from Europe and then into Asia. Like how many countries in, did you, in Asia did you do? I did. Well, did you go through China? No. Okay. Because it's very difficult with the um, being right. an American trying to get into China, and there's the separate driver's license and all that. So I went through the like the Middle East. So I, Asia was I don't know if you count the Middle East as Asia, but from Turkey, Iraq, Kuwait, yeah. Saudi Arabia, Oman, UAE, Iran, Pakistan. Um, India for only three days. Everybody's like, what, is your, what was your experience in India? I'm like, I don't know. I closed my eyes and I went through. <laughs> wow, that is very fast. So yeah. I have a question for you about that. Something that, since we all go to Pakistan, and the reason that Moin does these trips is to change the world's perception. So I'm curious for, you know, Iran, Iraq, a lot of these places, what was your perception? Did you have any fear to go to this part of the world? No. So I was a little like going into Iraq, you know, there's so much that we're taught as Americans about like the Middle East and Iraq and Iran and all that. 
Um, and I felt super safe in Iraq. I felt almost too safe. They wouldn't let me do anything dangerous, like go camping. Because <laughs> uh, there's checkpoints everywhere. And then yeah. they, they stop and they check and they, they're like, oh, my God, U.S. passport. Oh. Yeah, they don't want anything to happen to you. No, they're, they're terrified that something's going to happen to you and your big government's going to come stomping in again. That's right. Because that's and- what happened is because they're in a really strategic position. So they like Iran, I think Turkey or Turkey or China and the U.S. were all fighting over Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's doing poorly at this point because of it but i felt fine and like kuwait i went through i went from the iraqi border through kuwait to Riyadh in 22 hours oh oh my god i went overnight because i didn't i needed to get my carnet so Mm -hmm. i could travel through asia um, and I ended up spending more time in Iraq than I should have. And I just had to rush through there and I didn't want to cross the Saudi desert during the day because right. it was yeah. already like Iraq was, <laughs> there was areas that I was going through that were 130 degrees or, um, 56 if you're, if you're right. European. So then from there, where did you go? Did you hop over to Australia at all? No, I didn't go to Australia. I went to, I flew from Nepal to Thailand and then rode to Malaysia. And then from Malaysia, went to Vancouver, Canada. And then (laughs) that's a big difference. It was (laughs) seeing Dairy Queen again. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was it. That was it for you. Well, anyway, all the big trucks, like no, I, they probably have in Australia. But the massive trucks in Canada and the U.S., just normal trucks, but they have, Mm -hmm. like, you know, extended cab, six-foot bed. And they're just huge. Well, that's why, you know, we (laughs) we look at a bike like the Versus 300 and the American and probably Canadian – mentality is it's it's way too small but for most of the world it is a perfect bike mm-hmm. we ride going 125s over. and 150s over in pakistan yeah. oh yeah. you die on something as big any bigger well, so you can't go fast because there's too much traffic all the time you're not going more than if you're going 55 miles an hour you're going very fast right so uh, you, yep. uh, here's a question for you. As you're planning this, and I want you to be honest here, how many countries had you never heard of before? Mm. Luxembourg. Oh, yeah, that one got me too. <laughs> it's like, what? This is just like a lunch stop with a castle. Like, what? I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think... I think Luxembourg is the only one because South America, I was, were you a good student? Honestly, I was homeschooled and that was barely, but I just, cause Thomas, my brother had gone through a motorcycle trip through South America. So I, oh. I knew the names of the countries, mm-hmm. 
And I had spent so much time looking at them all beforehand. Um, Now there was like the little countries in Eastern Europe. Like I knew the names, but Liechtenstein. That's a country. Serbia, Austria. Yeah. Um, Well, even when you get it to some of the stands. Bulgaria. Yeah. A lot of people never heard of. Yeah, Turkmenistan, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you go around and, and how long did you say? A year and a half? Yeah. Well, sort of not 15 months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 15 months. And did you have like a, a timetable you had to keep up with? So you like had, had to keep going, had to keep going. So you really didn't yes. get to stop and enjoy many things, right? No. And that is something I would never do a motorcycle trip like this ever again. <laughs> Because one of the stipulations is I couldn't stop in one place for more than two weeks. Yeah. And because I was trying to get it done before I was 23, um, I there were certain places I really needed to rush. South America, I sort of got to take a little bit of time. We spent too long in Mexico because we spent two months in Mexico, mm. which was really awesome, honestly. Um, but it was quite a bit of time. So we went through Central America in 15 days, which was sort of a shame, (laughs) but being in Central America on a motorcycle is rough. Yeah. Not as rough as Mm. places in Asia. Um, But I can't say I would want to, that I feel a need to go through Mexico or Central America again on a motorcycle. South America, 100%. Yeah. That's, I mean, that has the highway system to easily travel through, right? South America? Yeah. I mean, it's just a little, it's a little more developed and I'm just fine for, you know, undeveloped jargon and whatever. Um, But it's just hard to find food, like, like Mm -hmm. a meal. Well, that was the next question I was going to ask you. What were some of your favorite cultures or food that you got to sample? Um... Mexico had really good shrimp tacos. Like if you went to the coast, you really are from Wisconsin. I just, I'm sorry, so much. I've got three taquerias within a block of my house. (laughs) 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 Yeah, Um, but yes, I under, yeah, I get it, and that is true from Wisconsin. Yeah, you're probably not used to like shrimp tacos, which are so plentiful here. So yeah, those are good. I love them. Um, what about did you eat anything weird that you're like uh, oh I ate tons of weird stuff yeah in in Mexico there was a lot of Mexico honestly has a lot of interesting food they pickle a lot of different body parts they use the whole animal oh yeah they so use it there all. was um, pickled skin pickled ears pickled boldic I think that was the weirdest thing I ate was pickled boldic and now the next question is why why was I eating it? Because yeah. someone put it on my plate. Okay. I'm not judgmental. It looked like food. It was what about in awesome what about food. in 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 Asia? Did you love the food there? Because mm. I would think that'd be a big highlight traveling in Asia. The food is so good. It was um Thailand has a very strong Japanese influence. So there's a lot of really? sushi and ramen mm. everywhere. And I love sushi. <laughs> Really love sushi. Oh, you're blowing my 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 idea of what a small town girl from Wisconsin is like. 
Really? <laughs> sushi? I love sushi. All right. I so really you love it. You really are a worldly yeah. person and just hadn't been around the world yet. I mean, who does? I mean, there's plenty of people that don't love sushi, but I love my, um, before I was born, my dad was stationed in Okinawa, Japan. Uh, and so my family lived there for a few years and I have siblings that were born there. Um, so there was a lot of, like we had a Japanese rice cooker growing up. There was a lot of stuff that we had left over from living in Japan. So you have an so adventurous family. A, a little bit of a, a Japanese influence. Really nice. food. So I really love like Japan stole pot stickers from China and I really love pot stickers and just a lot of Asian food. But um Peru has really good ceviche. Mm. Good to know. Argentina, surprisingly, amazing pizza. Yeah, I can all, see that. All good Pe- chips. Mexico doesn't know how to make pizza. Don't get pizza in Mexico. <laughs> So other than the the happenstance in Chile and the driving really slow through Pakistan, was there any other big hurdles that you had to overcome? Things that you thought, maybe I'm not going to be able to do this. Mm, The only, um, I don't know if I can do this, I want to go home moment. And it was only for maybe a day Mm. was um, the week from hell. What's the week from hell? The week from hell. The week from hell is... Um, we came into Chile from Argentina and we're in the Atacama desert and we camped We're we were going to see this bus in the Atacama desert in Northern Chile. So this and is the big, are there like billboards forever? Come see the bus. Oh, it was, if you want, I think it's in the long way up. Oh, okay. Mm. So there's, it's, okay. it's just this sort of tourist attraction yeah. in the middle of the desert it's just this old abandoned bus i think i remember that yeah 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 yeah. we were going to go see that and we took a wrong turn and then we were turning around and kiva's chain pops off seizes up and breaks and then she takes my bike and goes and spends the next day rooting around for a chain i spend the day in the desert which was, was okay it was an experience um, and then the next day we leave and we go to the town that we get robbed in. And then we spend a few days in the town trying to figure out stuff. And then I drive to, we separate for a little bit. I go to Santiago while same day, I think Kiva's chain breaks and I get hit by a car. Oh, what happened? I was going, I was taking a right-hand turn and there was a bus lane and I didn't see him in the bus lane and I became a hood ornament. Oh. But it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. The bike, I was pretty okay. I think I remember seeing that post on Facebook. Yeah. But the bike was fine, right? Yeah. The bike was pretty fine. She has a dent in her gas tank from my (laughs) knee being pushed into the tank. You know, that is one of the advantages of the scooter. Can't get your knee bashed into the tank. That's true. true. I mean, it really, it really was pretty okay, other than a, probably a small concussion and a decent scrape on my arm. Hmm. It was okay, but previous to that, in Colombia, which this is all I think within the same month, Colombia 
I threw out my back trying to pick Kiva's bike up because it had fallen on the kickstand uh-huh. side and I was trying to pick it up enough to flip the kickstand down. Um, and I think I popped some discs, which was really painful. And then Ooh. in Peru, I had a decent crash and messed up my knee. And so I was having a lot of like spasms going up my leg from not only my knee, but my, then my back. So, you know, we got robbed. I was really hurting physically. And then I was really, both me and Kiba were hurting emotionally. And I was just, it was the first and only time I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to go home. I don't know if I can do this. Um, But because you don't have any, I don't, didn't have any time to really rest. Right. So what'd you say to yourself? Suck it up, biker girl. Let's go. Well, I remember, I remember walking in Santiago because I would just walk around cities because that's, you know, that's how I like to see them. And just thinking like, I am going to do this, like giving up is not an option. Right. And then once I said that, it was sort of just, all right, we're doing it. Like we're, that's it, folks. Did you know you had this in you before you took off? I think so. Or did you impress I, yourself? Yeah, I grew up on a farm. I'm pretty used to, and it wasn't like. Can you kill a chicken with one hand? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, that's easy. Whoop. <laughs> yeah it was you know i grew up with plenty of of tough things not necessarily Mm -hmm. so many tough things all at once but you got grit girl yeah thanks (laughs) so you get to canada now you're like yay dairy queen yeah well now it's easy right linda linda hooked me up with this lovely woman sabine and her Mm -hmm. family and then I stayed with her and her two sons for a while while we were getting everything sorted. Um, and it was, it was, it was so weird because there was all of these like things everywhere and it was cold. <sighs> um, and then yeah. my shipment was delayed for the bike. And then I only had, I was trying to get it out of customs and uh, the Canadians were, the Canadian custom people were so nice. Of course they are. They're Canadian. Were. Yeah. And they they definitely moved some things around so I could get it the same day. And then, um, yeah. But the last day on Friday, yeah. the day before I was supposed to be in Duluth, I ended up doing a thousand miles and like. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this. So again, now you're back in the states. Now you're on the not right bike to be doing uh, an iron butt. So, so what were what were you behind schedule? And you had to make it. They're having a party for you, right? And well, yeah, the party that I had set up. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be here, here, this, and you know. And then I was having a ride in from Duluth, mm-hmm. which is about an hour and a half away from Ashland, where I was having the party. And, and you, you had ideal weather situation, right? For the season, <laughs> you know, for November, it was. In the morning, so I started in Broman, Bis, Bis, Montana. Bisbee? No, or, no. Oh. I actually, it was Montana. really, 
nice. Oh, oh, Bozeman? Bozeman. Yeah, that's what it is. My cousin lives there. And I didn't know he lived. I knew he was in Montana (laughs) somewhere, but I didn't know. He messaged me while I'm on the bike an hour away from where, from Bozeman. And he's like, hey, if you need a place to stay, my, I have a place for you in Bozeman. And I was like, that's perfect. Cause it had been raining. I had camped the night before and it was cold and I was like a little frostbitten. Mm. Um, and so I saved my cousin and his, and his two dogs and his girlfriend and his girlfriend's a chef. And she made me like mm. the best meat and potatoes <laughs> you've ever had. It was like a perfectly <laughs> cooked steak. I was nice. so floored. And they had this little kitten, and it was so cute. Oh my <laughs> god, it was so cute. It was like hurts your brain. So cute. I, I have to imagine, said. like since you read Elsbeth's book, you you know that there were times it was hard. But she said by the time she got to like Turkey, and then like she's getting into Europe, like she got this wind because she could, you know, things were becoming more and more familiar, and she knew mm-hmm. she could make it at that moment. So was it once you got to Canada that you're like? I got this. Like I can, I can do this. It was, I was like, all right, this is the last stretch, but it wasn't until I like pulled out, pulled up outside my brother's house that I was, you know, I'm here. Cause there was always, you know, what if there's black ice on the road or something else? Yeah. We didn't finish that. You did a thousand miles. Yeah. And how long did it take you to do that? It was, I started at, I left, I left, we, I left the gas station just outside my cousin's house at 5.30 and I got to Duluth, Bozeman, Montana to Duluth, Minnesota, 5.30 to, I think it was 11.30, 11 something. <laughs> wow. And you wow. had, you had people there waiting for you. Day. Yeah. And it was it was Kiva and Rory because Rory had flown in and they were in a hotel. So I was like, I'm not stopping. And I was totally speeding. And there was the <laughs> documentary crew behind me. And I, I'm wait a minute. Wait, by. what? You didn't mention that. Oh, the documentary crew? Where were they? How much, how, how long were they following you? Just not long. They just in the, in the States. States? Met up with okay. Me got States. it. Yeah. Um, but they were just behind me and my tail light was out. Ooh. And so here's this motorcycle speed going like mm-hmm. too fast yeah. <laughs> in a too <laughs> slow area. Um, and they're trying to keep up with me and the, and a cop pulls them over and is like, do you know what's going on here? Was this the only time you got pulled over <laughs> on the entire trip? I didn't get pulled over cause I was gone. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. You didn't get pulled no, over. We got pulled over. Um, we got pulled over once in Mexico, I think. Ah. Uh, but they let us go. Oh well, that was nice. Yeah. But you yeah, didn't have to pay they, them. Mm, no. Well, and and I know there's there's video of you. I guess was it the next day when you arrived and during the day and there was a group of people there waiting because I think Linda was there, mm-hmm. and you you're just like, hold on, let me get my helmet off. <laughs> <laughs> and just turn around oh hey oh hey like oh yeah you, you seem kind of in a fog i was definitely tired yeah um i think it was just it was just like 
there was so many people that I knew and it's been, it was so long since there had been people that I knew. Yeah. And so everybody, I was just so excited to see everybody. I was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty cool to see your, your, your homecoming and, and you made it. And, but now, and I, and I know, especially Steph and bagel can understand acclimating back to life. How is that going for you? Because I'm guessing everything's been a whirlwind, like just like, is it like almost like a dream? Everything now? Mm, a little bit. It, it, it came back to normal, like a lot faster than I thought it would. But I also, until the day before yesterday, like Kiva and Rory were here. Mm. So there was something familiar to my travels. And like our friend Ryan, who we had, me and Kiva had met in South America, he came for a week too. Nice. And he was hanging out with us. So there was things that were very familiar to me. This is like, you could, like, like this is what the, the writers in the script made this story. Like all the people you met along the way, all coming out to be there at the end. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah, well, that is really that is really cool. Well, and I wanted to give you an opportunity because I know that there were people that helped you and sponsors. This is your opportunity to do some thanks if you would like to get that in. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to thank is it Wima? Yeah, Wima. Yeah, Wima who helped me a lot when everything got stolen and they're just yes. super nice. So, big thank you to them. That and is then- the Women's International Motorcycle Association. Yep. 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 And then God, there's individually, there's so many people, but like plug, plug your sponsors. I'm, I'm plugging, I'm plugging. Okay. So my best and most consistent sponsors were initially Tucker powered sports. They helped me a lot when I was in the States, but they're mostly right. state-based. So it was harder when I mm-hmm. went other places. Um, but then arrow stitch, they gave me my riding suit. And then later when that, my style changed. They gave me a riding jacket, Moscow Moto, who helped a ton with getting things. And then like I had gone to a motorcycle event or two and they like ABR and they paid for me to get into ABR. Um, and those are like sort of the sponsors that stuck with me and did, did the most. Great. I and tried it- to keep the sponsorship thin so Simple. I could have a lot of, always plug your sponsors. That's my, my top tip for you. So, and here's a, here's a question for somebody thinking they want to do some stupid idea like this. How much money does it cost and how in debt are you right now? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not super, super in debt, but there's definitely a few thou that are owed to a few people. Um, I'm having a lot of trouble with the company that shipped over my motorcycle because they're super uncoordinated and I owe them $4,000, but they're really bad at telling me how to pay them. <laughs> they won't let you pay. Mm. They won't know they pay them. And I'm like, guys, if you don't want me to pay, that's fine. I'll use the money. But it's not like I did a lot of fundraising, so it's not really my money. And I'm... I have money that I started, like emergency money with that I started with. So I have three, four, about seven, 
There's $700 to my name right now. So if somebody wanted to do this, how much money would you tell them they're going to need? If they did all the way around the world Mm -hmm. and did not work at all along the way, I would say 40,000. That's it? Yeah. Did you, did you work along the way? No. Cause I, I couldn't stop in one place for more than two weeks and I have no skills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you have, if you have a remote job, I would Mm -hmm. start. Like Steph does. If you could start with, Three or four thousand dollars as a cushion. Wow. Yeah, you'll be fine. Like if once you get around, if I you're in the states, get out much. of the states. If you're in Europe, try not to spend too much time Uh-oh. in Europe. And once you get into like South America or Asia, things become a lot more affordable. Right, and housing and whatever fuel. Um, I did. You could reasonable and that's i did camp a lot so as long as you're comfortable camping you could easily go to the tip of south america and possibly get your bike home for ten thousand dollars wow wow it was it was two thousand to ship my bike to spain so it was two thousand it was it's a thousand to go across the darien gap with your motorcycle it's it was around two thousand to ship mine to Spain. So these are the big expenses. Yeah, and that those the shipping the bike was the the thing that was the biggest expense at was once, which was a thousand wow. and two thousand for South America, which of course that changes. Um, and then shipping because Myanmar's land border is closed. So again, it was right. It was actually only eight hundred to ship from My Nepal bad. to Thailand. Wow. Um, but then it was 4,000 to ship at home. And I went like the, the cheapest option, but there are so, a lot of quotes that were around 7,000 because it's very expensive to ship out of Asia. So do you consider yourself um, a world traveling motorcyclist? Like, do you think you'll continue traveling by motorbike? I think so in the future. I think it's the next few years of my life are going to look pretty different. I think I'm going to try and maintain the connections that I've made in motorcycling. Um, but didn't you just get I, the equivalent of a college degree? I think so. Somebody it's give a her a diploma. Of, it's a different kind of education. It's it yeah. is, and I like this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to ask, like, what is going to yeah. what What do you think will be next for you? I. I'm going to try and go back to sailing and get my captain's license. Oh. Finish getting my captain's license. I need to calculate. I think I still have all the time for it. So I just need to take a test. Um, and then somewhere, sometime, I would love to get my pilot's license. Wow. And have the trifecta. <laughs> a lot of hours. You really do have. Uh, you're not meant well, to it's stay only in for a small domestic, town. Domestic license. It's only like. For a private license. So it's just you flying around in the plane. It's like right. 24 hours. Hmm. And ha- have you have you gotten back onto your time zone now? Are you sleeping regu- regularly yet? Yes. Yeah, that's that's a hard one. But at least when you're traveling, you're slow, slowly changing. Well, um, 
it sounds like you're just kind of getting back to normal life, probably not making any big plans. So I'm just going to throw one out there, just an offer. If you're interested and want to come back to Pakistan, I'm taking a group of women in September to go ride northern Pakistan with my boy Moin. It's going to be like Chikistan three or four now. Five? Five? (laughs) Yeah, five. I know. I know. So just throwing that out there if you'd like to go back. But I can understand. You probably have a list of countries you want to go back to. There's, I would, I don't think I, until it changes, I ever want to go back to Southern Pakistan. No, no, I won't make you go there. I won't, we, I won't make you do that. <laughs> that was really hard. No, we in Northern yeah. Pakistan, we get to do dangerous stuff. It's fun. Well, it's also like, I don't. I don't know if I'll be around, but um, hopefully I'll have mm-hmm. a job by then and money again. Well, this is a, it's a really love cool, those boring things. It's a really cool <laughs> story. And I, I just love that. Yeah. You, you know, you can look at it as like, you're, you're the small town girl. Who are you to think you can do this big thing, but that's, you have this, this confidence and this grit. And that's something that I love that you're like, why not me? Right. The confidence. I well, I always used to say the confidence I have, I have never earned that I have no right to have. But yeah. now, you know, I've done it. So you've done it. Yeah, <laughs> just just flash the the Guinness black. Yeah. Whenever anyone questions oh, you, just this, be like, "Yeah, these, well, oh, this well, one in the background, right. like right here." Do you, do you have a Guinness World Record? I don't think so. <laughs> it's like well, have, in your jacket. Yeah. So on this on this wall right here, there's Kiva oh. brought them. Posters back from Argentina. Oh, and cool! My um, nice. high school equivalency diploma because I never went to high school because I was homeschooled. But cool. <laughs> I'll show them. Well, and here's the other question I have for you. I know you you love Mabe, and you had Mabe decorated, especially something special in Pakistan. So much fun. Yeah, Bagel, did you get that picture I sent you? I did. I saw that. That's her. awesome. You want to see it? She's in the basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Steph, you yeah. remember when we I went, haven't seen it. So when Steph and I were there, we went to the one of the truck stores and bought all the stickers and everything oh, and decorated our helmets shop. because yeah. we love how the trucks look. But you kind of took it a step further, didn't you? Well, there are people that get their whole bike done. Like, yeah, check it out. Oh, my goodness. Ah. <laughs> With the eyes, remember? Uh, we got eyes on our helmets, eyes. too. You got to, yep. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so still cool. on my helmet in, uh, in Portugal right go. now. Oh, that looks great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, I know cool. you love that bike to death, but here's a question I have to ask you. What is your next bike going to be? Mm, dirt bike. Ooh, uh, <laughs> any particular any particular one i'm not sure yet my my boy is like ktm and i'm like i'm not ready for a ktm <laughs> ktm keep um, throwing money Cowie something like a yamaha or cowie something reliable mm. that i can beat up for a while until i know what i'm doing well fun and and you don't feel any pressure to keep one upping and doing something bigger like you i mean you've, like you've right burnt out young was... i have to say like <laughs> yeah i was like what, what did out? i do what bigger? Exactly is bigger i feel like i went i did the biggest thing and now i get to do the little things <laughs> well um, it, it is kind of fascinating because you know elsbeth was quite young when she did it and she came home 
put everything away. And it wasn't until years later that people wanted to hear her story. And, you know, that may be one of those things where, like, you know, once all the attention in the media dies down, that, like, you know, 20 years from now, you might, like, be, well, you know, I did this thing once. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I suspect I'll continue to be cool. <laughs> Obviously. There's that. Yeah. Well, and I've, I'm sort of tentatively, like, planning in the distant to near future, like a sailing trip to South America or a sailing trip to Europe. Mm. Um, so we might be seeing big things come out of you in yeah. the future. Well, if, you're, you're, once you do this, like, you know that you can do the yes. reason I didn't do things when I was younger is because I didn't know I could. And now that I am like, well, hell yeah. You know, yeah, Mars is the limit. That's pretty yeah. cool. You could put a dirt bike on a sailboat and then get to Mars. Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, sailboat. here, I'm just going to give you, <laughs> it's already been done. So you won't be the first, but, um, uh, a friend of the show, Steph Jevons. Have you heard of her? Yes, I have. Yeah, Steph, right? First uh, person to ride on every continent. She had to get her dirt bike onto a sailboat to um, uh, Antarctica. Antarctica. Yeah. 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 Right around it Antarctica. Was a, it, was it was so expedition. funny because I, cool. I didn't really introduce myself to her or anything, but she was at ABR and she was... Ah, yeah. It was really funny because Rory was with me and it was it was later in the evening so there was just like the partiers around and there was this woman dance like on top of a table saying something and where was like you see that woman that's steph jevin she went to all continents on a motorcycle and i was like ah the woman dancing on the table and he was like yep and i was like cool <laughs> see, oh here's a goal for you because i'm guessing you might be too. visiting uh uk in the near future mm-hmm. um she has a dirt biking camp in North Wales. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, I might yeah. be I'm going in January for <gasps> my boy's birthday. So. I'm going in December. Wow. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's pretty. I like it over there. Um, well, before we let her go, Bagel and Stephanie, do you have any last questions for her? I, well, I actually, I have a question for you, Stephanie. Hearing her story, does it get your juices going to like... Hit hit the well. You live on the road already, but to go further, go bigger. It's a different thing. Like I've always wanted to go farther, far like I don't know farther. Uh, the Vespa is in Europe now, and like I ride a bit in Asia, and like I don't have the same kind of drive to do everything on one bike. Yeah, uh, it, I'm much more like whatever. I'm here for the experience. I really don't care very much about like taking one bike along with me. Um, yeah. And I also really like going slow. Like it's more and more, I want to go slower and spend more time in every different culture. Um, So yeah, it's like really inspiring to hear like that. Yeah. You can just, obviously you can just do this. It's one of those, like, did you know people can just do this? It's great. (laughs) You don't even have, no one even has to tell you, you can, you can just tell yourself. You just like go and do it and like, you'll make it happen. And that's always, that's always really cool. Have, um, have but you, I'm also like full-time. Hmm? Yeah, no, keep going. Oh, no, I'm full-time in the van right now. Yeah. Oh, which I heard Steph but that's Devin really also cushy. has a van. <laughs> it's, this is very, this is a major upgrade from living on a Vespa. <laughs> just want to mm-hmm. say um, after, after many years of living on a Vespa and then a few other bikes around the world, uh, the van is very cozy. 
Um, so that's been a fun one to explore for now. Uh, it is, it, it's different to have the van. It's, it's just a different mode of travel. Um, and I miss camping on bikes. I, I think I'll, I'll go back to it someday, but it's a lot easier to hold down a full-time job in a nice, comfortable, luxurious van that is built purpose-built for this. Mm-hmm. So, and I haul uh, my BMW cross-country on the back. Yeah, and, currently and, in over there. But. And Bridget, that's why yeah. I was, when I knew that Steph was with Bagel, I'm like, oh, we got to get her on because you're back home now. And, you know, home is usually where people are grounded. But Steph is, unlike most people, I think you're grounded traveling. Like you were miserable when you were holed up in one place <laughs> during COVID. Yeah, pandemic <laughs> like, sucked. I mean, it's like for everyone, but it's okay to just, live life free. Just yeah, pandemic just highlighted how much of like I don't know. I just uh, I lived on my bike for so long, and now I I know like I carry my home inside me. Yeah, and that's like all the yeah. people, yeah. all the people home. Like I have um I have a six year old niece. And now a four-year, four-month-old niece and like my brother and my family, it was, that was, I didn't really miss the place. I missed Mm. the, like, I went too fast. I totally agree with you. Like the farther you go, the slower you want to go. But I just, I missed the peace of being home and not having to worry about planning the next place I was going, but I missed the, the people the most and like all the friends that I have back here that I grew up with and everything. For sure. Right. Bagel, you have a last question? Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know if I have any questions. I mean, there's so many things that, that we've covered already. Um, but I, 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 I'm really uh, impressed and, and amazed at how well you did on that trip. Um, because, you know, especially with, with the way things are around the world right now, uh, it, it seems like it's more difficult than ever to travel around the world. And, and, and that's something that I've, you know, I, I like to do long distance riding and, and I've always thought kind of the ultimate thing would be to ride around the world, especially on a scooter, on a scooter. Cause so people, so few people have done that. Um, and, but it just seems like it's such a challenge with all of the, the conflicts and, 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 you know, just drama that's happening around, happening around the world right now. But, you know, you managed to, to, to make it to, to places like, uh, like Iran and, and I think that's absolutely wonderful. And you know that that you know that 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 tells me that where there is a will, there is a way. And you know, and so so maybe maybe there is still some some chance that I could do that one of these days because I would I would absolutely love to do an around the world trip to myself. Well, oh, yeah, Bridget, is it sinking in that you've become an inspiration to people? I think it it was sunken more on the trip. And I think now that I'm back home, I like remember that I went around the world on a motorcycle and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> it was like finding a hundred dollar bill in your pocket. And it's remember just that time I did that thing? Well, and, and have you been getting a lot of uh, interviews? I've been getting know? a lot of requests and mm-hmm. it's a little overwhelming. Well, um, I wanted to thank you for taking the time because I did. I did use some of my circles to like, hey, I need you to nudge her for me because no, I've was, been. That was a good call, and I've I'm been following. And I'm very glad to do the interview, and I think this will. I think this will help me like, sort of kickstart myself. 
because I've, I've had enough time now and like Rory and Kiva are gone. So I don't feel bad about not spending time with them. Right. And to go do an interview, but there's like a few more podcasts and, and people that want me to come do places. And now I have some almost tragic peace and quiet to go respond to emails and <laughs> yeah. answer requests. Well, I wanted to, yeah. Thank you for, for responding. Cause yeah, like I said, I've been following you and just having so many people in our circle together. I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to tell her story. I want to tell her story, but I was also trying to give you some time to recover because that I is a whirlwind that. to come back from. Oh, it, actually I, I do have one last question. When exactly was it that you ended your trip? November 4th. November 4th. And it's now November 19th. So like two weeks ago. Yeah. Two weeks you, ago. Mm-hmm. I gave her two weeks. The road trip. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> two weeks ago. You know. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> this is like yeah. super fresh. Exactly. And again, that's why I want to share the story because it is pretty big deal and, and an inspiration to a lot of women writers saying that you can do this too. And also to small town folk that yeah. they can be. Big world dreams and get it done. But it also takes about 10% just nut job to be able to do it too. It does. <laughs> like you do have to have a certain amount of, of recklessness to, yeah, because you're absolutely putting your life at risk. Oh yeah. Not in like you put your life at risk most days without realizing it, but to do it on purpose, you have to be a little. Uh, right. Yeah. You know. Well, we're going to let you go. Thank you very much. And if people want to um, learn more about you and be able to maybe find out when this documentary is going to come out, should they go to your website? Where do you want them to go? Um, The website is super out of date. I would probably um, social media, social media, Facebook. Um, If you look up Bridget McCutcheon, you'll find me. Two, that's two go around the world well, on a motorcycle. That's three C's. <laughs> right? What? Three C's. Oh, McCutcheon. Yeah. No, it's only two. Oh, actually, no, it is three. Because well, there, there's three two total. in front and one in the back. Yes, that's no what I'm o. saying. There's three C's. There's no O. M C C U T C H E N, not C H. Well, and then I know the last part for um, doing the paperwork and everything for Guinness, that's a whole nother job in itself. And, and people don't realize it costs money to submit as well. So, but it does. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, they, you got to get everything. Yeah. They're like, is Guinness paying you? I'm like, bitch, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, but um, we know other Guinness World Records, so I'd add you to the list with Wendy Crockett and with Danielle Lynn, who we all yeah, know. Danielle. Yeah. The, uh, long, uh, let's see. Well, long distance. Longest riders, con- both I think it was longest continuous, continuous motorcycle trip in one country. Country in one year. Was it like 78,000 really? miles in the U.S.? I don't remember exactly yeah yeah but it was also a lot of stipulations of like can't be outside the country for more than two weeks or something yeah but just know with people like wendy crockett dan ellen elspeth beard all friends of ours you're in good company steph jevons i add you to the list of people now and you don't realize it but you're gonna have a whole career speaking at motorcycle events Ooh, (laughs) Ooh. i tried so hard to make motorcycles. what are you doing in july what are you doing in july 
Oh my god! <laughs> How far sailing are you from Ohio? Sailing on oh. a boat, being on a boat. <laughs> can you can you sail the boat to Ohio? Ooh, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Not a so, lot of navigable rivers in Lexington, Ohio, I think. Oh, Bagel and I are going to be at AMA Vintage Days, and we often help uh, come up with like speakers for seminars. I would love to throw out an unofficial invite and have you come speak there. I can tell you probably a month beforehand yeah. what's going on. Um, I, I will stay in touch because you're now on the list. Nice. Nice. Well, good. Well, we're going to let you go. Thank you very much, Bridget, and congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, Excellent it's awesome job. what you did. Yeah. Thanks for the interview. It was nice talking to you guys. Yeah. All right. Oh, see you. Ciao. See Take ya. Care. So isn't that amazing? That was awesome. Pretty that cool. Really awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I, I do have an email here. Um, let me see. Uh, this is in regard to our episode number 397 about Eric Buell. And this is an email from Stephanie, a different Stephanie. <laughs> and uh, this is, uh, is Stephanie writes, uh, hello, misfits. Like a lot of your listeners, I'm working my way through some of your older podcasts. It was interesting to hear how you all handled the shit show that was 2020 with the pandemic. I work for an independent bike shop called Bikes Built Better in Horsham, Pennsylvania. When lockdown started, we couldn't figure out if we were essential or not. So the boss laid us all off and told us to stay home. He would go in and work on bikes as needed, but kept the showroom lights off so it looked like we were closed. One day, I had to go to the shop for something. I thought the motorcycle might attract unwanted attention, so I drove the car. Just as I was getting out of the car at Bikes Built Better, seven police motorcycles came roaring into the lot and pulled up at the front door. I froze. Were we getting busted for working on motorcycles? Should I jump back in the car and run? Then one of the officers saw me and waved, <clears throat> so I followed them in at a safe distance. Turns out, one of the bikes badly needed a clutch, and we were informed that bikes, build, bikes built better was indeed essential. Whew. <laughs> I also loved your episode 397, the interview with Eric Buell. I owned a 1997 Buell Thunderbolt, which I originally bought for track days for 20 years and put 77,000 miles on it. Whoa. I really loved that motorcycle, but it was getting hard to find chassis parts, which were all Buell specific. So I sold it to a collector. Buells were really great bikes, but the Harley dealers never gave them the love or understanding that they deserved. And I think that had a lot to do with their lackluster sales. The Buell, U Buell Ulysses was my special favorite. I got to spend a day riding one at a press intro near Big Bear Lake when it first came out, and I absolutely loved it, even though I couldn't put both feet down, even with the low, quote-unquote, seat. Four years ago, I bought a 2018 V-Strom 1000, which reminds me very much of the Ulysses, but I can get parts for it. And it was heartbreaking to hear the whole story of how Harley and Hero worked Eric over. He really had, really is an engineering genius. I also own a 1990 FXRP police bike, but never knew that Eric worked on the FXR chassis. Right. Now I know why it was such a great motorcycle. 
quick story around 1999, I was in Daytona Bike Week and we attended Reg Cottrell's Battle Tracks. That was a parking lot gymkhana for motorcycles. Right, and it was on. really fun. Reg Cottrell lives here. I know Reg Cottrell. Yeah. I didn't know he did this. He, he wrote a book, even. I got, well, on, on, <laughs> yeah, now we're learning things. I mean, this is this is this, this is, is why, now I got to hit him up and go. Wait a minute. This is why our listeners are awesome, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, he says that was a parking lot gym. She says that was a parking lot gymkhana for motorcycles, and it was really fun to compete in. My Buell had 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 just had a ten thousand mile service at a Harley dealer, and was acting very strange. Uh, it would not go straight at low speeds, what? but felt like it was it felt like it was squirming like a sidewinder. Eric Buell was at that battle tracks, and I asked him if he had any idea what could be causing that, since the dealer said they rode it and everything was fine. How often have we heard that one? So Eric jumped on my Buell and took a test ride on the parking lot. <laughs> he then told me that the steering head bearings were either too tight or worn out, and he was right. I sure hope that Eric gets the funding that he needs to be successful. He deserves a real win after all the crap he's been through. Meanwhile, I'll continue my way through your podcasts. And P.S., I loved your mini interview with Chris Comley, Iron yeah. Butt Extraordinaire, in episode 391. Also, Philly Boy. <laughs> he is one of my favorite customers here at Bikes Built Better. Oh, cool. Thanks very much, Stephanie. Wow, there's a lot in that story. How cool to have Eric Buell ride your Buell. Right? That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty it. cool. Tell you yeah. what the Harley dealer screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> and Eric, Eric was one of my favorite interviews. He's he's a really, really cool guy. All yeah, right. that was um, a cool interview. I have one here, and this one is from Joshua. Josh from Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Says, hey, Miss Fitz, I was catching up on the recent episodes and wanted to share my thoughts. Personally, I often like yellow bikes. No, I hate yellow bikes. Like the ZX6R <laughs> Stone. When I saw the yellow Sportster, I hate the yellow Sportster. In person, I liked it and found it striking. Plus, yellow is highly visible since there's often advocacy for safety on the podcast. Yeah, you got me there. However, I know I am drawn to flashier colored bikes most of the time, like my kinetic green street glide. In a world where one can still customize a bike, white is the choice. Decals or painting is easy with a white base. In a world where the color of the bike is not allowed to be changed in any way, black is a choice for simplicity and how it goes with almost any style. Lastly, come out to Gettysburg Bike Week. Now, I know it's Harleys, and I anticipate the groans. <laughs> However, <laughs> think of the stereotypes you'll see and can share on the podcast. You'll get lots of history <laughs> on the battlefield and can travel to other nearby areas as well. Visit Hershey, Pennsylvania and Chocolate World and see some Amish. That is always a, a perk for me when I get to see Amish. Uh, if you actually decide to come out for Bike Week or make a trip to the Tale of the Dragon, announce dates and I'll do my best to come hang out. Well, thank you so much. Um, Steph, what is the right color for a motorcycle? Like me? Yeah. The right color? I think what it's is the blue. right color? You can One color for all motorcycles. What's <laughs> the right color? Oh, uh, Oh, for all motors, would that be weird? All. All motorcycles. I don't know. You can only just, have one I, color I, for I, all I motorcycles. I towards blue, but that's like just a personal bias. You're wrong. The answer is <laughs> yeah. silver. 
Okay. Silver mm. is the one true color that will go across all brands and not look weird. Uh, that's my opinion. <laughs> Full disclosure, that's my opinion. But yellow, uh, I have to say my my dislike for the yellow comes from the yellow sportster, which I think is one of the <laughs> ugliest yellows I've ever seen. I had a friend who had one and I just she loved her bike so much I couldn't share with her my distaste for the color. But that's where <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is so ugly. Huh. That's where it comes from. Never knew that. And I have I have a yellow bike. I have a yellow bike. <laughs> I get it. I never thought I'd have a yellow bike, but I get it. Um, oh, I have I, another I, one. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You um, do. I have I another won. one here. There's somebody who is looking for some advice. Oh. And this is from Phil, not not our Phil from Cleveland. Hey, Phil, how you doing? Um, but he also uh sent this to Cleveland Moto, so heads up. Oh yeah, he's asking both of us for help. He says he's double tapping. He says, "Hey there, hope you're having having a good." Okay, for about six years, my trusty steed has been a '91 Yamaha Virago 750, but for years I've had my eyes on the two-wheeled recliner Harley calls the Electra Glide Ultra Classic. Now I'm not buying new something late '90s to around 07. What's your opinion on that, or should I look around for a? metric equivalent to it i love that exhaust note i don't put a ton of miles down each year somewhere around enough to wear out a cheap tire a season oh okay the yamaha has been a good bike but just need a bigger one and i have added a fairing and stereo as well as bags and top case so it's overloaded yeah i would say um you've been trying to turn that uh that you know that virago into the bike you want it to be now my advice, and I'm not going to shit on the Harley here. I'm not going to. The uh, the electric glides are pretty cool. It's it's a land yacht, you know. And if you're doing long distance riding, then that's a great bike. So is a Goldwing, or so is um, I don't know what the latest Yamaha is, the Roadstar or whatever it is now, Roadliner. I think I like metric cruisers too. Here's the thing, though. Harleys will be more expensive because you're buying a a pass into the club. Right. So how important is it to you to be in the club, to be able to go to an event or a gathering and be one of the guys who's accepted because you're on a Harley? Because I have found in general that if you're on a Metro Cruiser, it's not cool. You're not accepted. But if you don't give a flying poop about being accepted and you're just a solo rider, you can get a much better bike for a lot less money in a metric cruiser. Just saying. But I do understand that if, you know, all your buddies are riding Harleys, it is a, a pass into the club. So you have to tell, decide what's most important to you. But, um, and, and getting into like a nineties touring bike, you're going to find that they come with a lot of special things on them that may be starting to go out. They may have like um, air suspension or, you know, this and that. Just, just remember that things start to go bad and it's usually the expensive perks. Oh no, cat on the soundboard again. Oh, (laughs) it's a different cat too. So um, 
I would also throw in, and I think maybe I can get Steph to back me up. Don't rule out a BMW. BMWs are excellent bikes for comfort and cruising and touring. They are quite comfortable. I mean, they are also bring more wallet, but not, I don't think quite as much as Harley Davidson. <laughs> yeah, but like, what do you think of the R18 is pretty cool, but that's a new bike. Yeah, I, I I like the old sport tours. Yeah, and also don't count out Italians. Some of the Moto Guzzi. Aprilia? Or, oh, Guzzi. Touring bikes are yeah. pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of bikes. I think it's going to come down to budget and what kind of accessories and perks. But it sounds like you want comfort, leisure, you know, radio, windshield. You want a land yacht? Then I would say, if you're not looking at a, a Goldwing or if you, if you, you know, you want the, that sound, that pop, 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 pop. Mm, the potato yeah. sound. That's so, a, yeah, that's like a very specific. Yeah, very so specific you're probably sound. looking at Suzuki um, or Yamaha or Motoguzzi, right? Because that's a big, that's a twin or a Harley. Yeah. So whatever, mm-hmm. I would open yourself up to any of those. And I bet you, I bet you, Phil will even suggest a, a Moto Guzzi too. They're kind of cool. Yeah. The, look at the Flying Fortress, right? Yeah. All right, Bagel. Do you have another one there? I do. Uh, this is an email from Michael Dominguez. Hey, Michael. And Michael writes, "Hello, motor- motorcycles and misfits. I am new to the motorcycle world and wanted to tell you a little story." It was probably a year ago when I saw a little motorcycle sitting outside a coffee shop. I had no knowledge of bikes and couldn't tell you what it was, but I was entranced by the way it looked. I had never seen a motorcycle that that looked like that. Low to the ground, all blacked out, and a unique headlight. Without even realizing it, that moment was an integral part to my motorcycle story. I never thought about that motorcycle again, Until about a month ago, I was thinking about how I could mod my new truck or do something that would require to get my hands dirty. But I kept saying to myself, no, it's too expensive. You could mess up your truck. It's just not worth it, etc. I've never done anything more than an oil change. I knew something could go wrong, but then something clicked. I was reminded of that motorcycle. I could see the headlight and all the blacked out look. Sitting at my computer, I looked up mods for motorcycles, and I instantly jumped into the world of motorcycles. Mm. How easy it was to put on a slip-on exhaust and aftermarket levers. Plus, it wouldn't be my daily driver. It would be for fun. From then on, I I needed to learn everything that I could. What kinds of bikes are out there? What could be the first mods to do? What was the first bike that I saw outside the coffee shop? It was fairly easy to find. Uh, After a few searches, I found that it was a Honda Rebel, probably a 300 or 500. Since then, I have watched all the YouTube videos. Yammy Noob, Fort 9, Doodle on a Motorcycle, Revzilla. I needed more. I started watching MotoGP. But, of course, I needed something to help me get into the mechanical side of motorcycles. That is where Motorcycles and Misfits came in. Hey, that's us. 
<laughs> you guys have a garage. You guys have Emma who taught me about what Desmo valves are. I learned more and more about motorcycles and I have been listening to your podcast ever since. There is one problem. My wife is adamantly against motorcycles. Oh, I have a solution for that. Get her a scooter. Hmm, maybe. Mm. <laughs> she thinks that it's reckless. Although she has compromised and is comfortable with me riding a dirt bike, no motocross, just or no motocross, no street riding, just trails, I guess. I will continue to work with her. I'm trying to see if she will take the the MSF course with me, mm-hmm. but she knows that that is my, my that is the first step to a license and my entrance into riding on the street. That is my story, but I have a request as well. Okay. I I heard you have gear, yes. and I know you're running, and I know you're running short on it. But would you be willing to send some to Texas where I live? Mm. I would for the shipping i would love to talk to you more about motorcycles i have many ideas for what my first bike might be honda rebel 500 or the ktm 390 adv or maybe even an mto7 but with the constraints from the deal with my the, the deal with my wife i was thinking for my first bike i would get the suzuki dr650 what call. do you all what kind of riding could i do other than trails Thank you, Michael Dominguez. Uh, so first I wanted to address the gear. Yeah, we've been getting rid of a lot of gear. A lot of happy people this week got some gear. Um, but awesome. I am not going to ship gear anywhere. Then it becomes a job for me. Um, and the problem is it's changing air all the time. But the other problem is, and people are asking me like, well, what size do you have in this? I'm like, I don't know. What, what do you have any of this? Like, I don't know. You have to go through the racks. I it's not organized. You we don't, we don't have an inventory. <laughs> we don't have an inventory. We have a so, pile. <laughs> so you but anyone is welcome to show up and go through and take anything at all that they want. But I'm not going to go through and take pictures and look for things that fit you and then box it all up and ship it out. I'm really sorry, but yeah. that's kind of where I have to draw the line in being able to offer free gear to the community. Is it's not my job. I don't make any money off of it. So already I've really, you know, had to kick some of my bikes out of my garage to set up racks and tables. So I've already made that sacrifice. But um if, but, if anyone finds themselves out here and wants to go through, you're welcome to anything you find. But airfare these days is cheap. And if Michael wants to come out for a Sunday, you know, you can always come take a look. Exactly. Um, and as for the bike, Suzuki DR650 is great. You don't even have to go that big, but I love the idea of like a dual sport enduro, even like a CRF 300 or even a Royal Enfield Himalayan, which looks yeah. dirt bikey. Or, or what about John's favorite, the KLR? Yeah, a KLR. There's a lot of bikes in yeah. that, but I think... And I, I'm just assuming here because none of us really have partners that worry about us, right? So yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna just take a guess that the best thing to do is to wear the best gear that you can, and never break that rule, and yep. get advanced training. Yep. And give yourself 
all the skills you can to lessen the risk. And mm-hmm. when you tell somebody you're doing that, that that may ease them a bit. I don't know if having her do the class is is going to help because she may get spooked and not like it. Yeah, that's true. But her fear, although it may be irrational, is for you. So do everything you can to lessen the risk. High-vis vest. Break free on your helmet. Um, headlight yeah. modulators. Show her all the things you're doing to lessen the risk, I would say would be. the, And that's not going out of your way. We all use those things already. We already do that mm-hmm. by choice. Yeah. And and plus the the fact that the the MSF or other uh, comparable courses they give you much more advanced instruction than than what is required by most states' drivers' tests for for motorcycles. You know that honestly that is that is the one of the best things you can do to keep yourself safe when you're riding. So um, you know I I would I would hope that that would help. Um, put his wife's mind at more ease at, you know, if, if anything could, I would think that that would probably would. Here's the thing. Don't do it for her. Do it for you. Give yourself well, the best, best odds. And this is the thing that everybody, yes, should <laughs> but, um, smaller bikes. And here's the thing. Smaller bikes don't always give you the power to m- maneuver out of a situation. But smaller bikes are more maneuverable too. And if you, as long as you have, if you, as long as you have enough power, you know, to to accelerate when you need to. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, uh, like a CRF 250 compared to a DR 650, you can argue that having more power gives you more capabilities to remove yourself from a situation. If you have the skill to do it, though, that's the thing. Which comes yeah, in as a new rider. As a newer rider, you're not necessarily power could be more dangerous. Yeah, newer rider not necessarily going to. So get a KLR six hundred and fifty, <laughs> all the way around. <laughs> no one safe. gets it's in trouble on a KLR. <laughs> KLR and a safety vest, you're good. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you can still you can still tour on it. I mean. Mm-hmm. Her friend Michelle Lee went all look. the way to Ushuaia on hers. I was actually surprised that Bridget didn't choose a KLR, which is a very affordable bike that can haul a lot of gear and is easy yeah. to to repair and maintain. But, but the Versus is also a great choice. So I think it proved itself. The fact yeah. that she barely had any problems, like absolutely wheel bearing or anything. Yeah. I mean, wow, yeah, that's awesome. So, it, just in wrapping up. Doesn't it make the world smaller? Like meeting Bridget, who went around the world, who knows people that we know around the world. Yeah, it really is a, a smaller yeah. world. I um, mean, yeah, I think motorcycling, especially, is just like eventually, like whatever it is, six degrees of separation, it's got to be smaller for motorcycling, especially if it's like extended, extended over landing on bikes. Yeah. I think yep. it is a surprisingly small world. Right. Six and, degrees of Moin Khan. <laughs> yeah. That's going to well, be like two degrees. As... <laughs> and yeah. I wanted to give a big thanks to my friend, Linda, who's the one who I called uh, when Bridget hadn't responded yet. And uh, I knew that Linda had been there to help her in Chile and had been there on her return and had an in. I'm like, Linda, 
give 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 her the good word on my show. And nice. she said, yeah, she said, okay. So that That's was awesome. great. So thank you, Linda, for reaching out to Bridget for us. And um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you got to play a little dirty, get them, <laughs> get them to come out of the weeds. But what a, what an amazing young woman, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was a fantastic story. I, I, I you know, I'm, I am thoroughly impressed that, that, that was just amazing. And that's why I really wanted to get on this. I'm not saying we've got the scoop. There's a lot of people who are covering her, but it's so new. And she's somebody who's just been added to that list of all these amazing accomplished I mean, writers we know. It's just literally like two weeks back. Yeah. <laughs> Still reeling. I can't imagine. I know. Yep. Well, Steph, are you going to find yourself down here in April for our rally again? I, I would. I would love to. It was really fun last year. Well, great. I hope you I hope you will come back for it. Um, Matt was here today and uh, I said, I've been promoted. And he goes, oh, geez, I haven't updated the website to, to buy tickets yet. But um, if anyone is interested, it's going to be April 18th through 21st. Put it on your calendar, Steph. And uh, you can register on his website to get notified as soon as the tickets go up. And he's, we're already, I think, a third of the way through, just not in ticket sales, but people who said they want to buy a ticket as soon as he's ready. We're already a third of the mm. way. Wow. There, I think. Yeah. That's, so there's a, a big awesome. interest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, come to our Misfits rally in April 18th, 21st. I put the link in our notes so you can go to Breaking Away Adventures and find out more about it there. Um, and, ooh, Steph, if you're coming... Ooh, I want to do like a storytelling hour rather than an interview like we did last time. I want to get some like past guests of ours to come and like tell their story around the campfire kind of thing. You would be good for that. That'd be great. I might be drunk. That's a, it makes a better story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, this is the time that we, we say uh, thanks to everyone for for helping us out, um, you know, coming by and getting gear. We had a bunch today, so that's good. I got a lot of pants. Please come take pants. And especially to our Patreon subscribers. We love you guys. Um, but again, thanks to Bridget for sharing her story. I'm sure she's still just kind of like, that is so hard to come back from an epic trip like that and just be back into your life. And like, did, no did that doubt. really happen? Yeah, I get, you know? Yep. That is like some kind of whiplash. Yeah. Like arriving back in North America and be like, oh, there's Dairy Queens. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think that's funny. Uh, go to motorcyclesandmisfits.com and you'll find links to everything. One thing you won't find there are t-shirts because we are sold out. Ooh. Last order came in today. Wow. Yeah. They are sold out. So. Um, but this is why you may want to become a Patreon uh, supporter because every year in the spring, we design a new t-shirt and ship them out to everyone. Ooh, Steph, you want to design a shirt for us? Yeah, sure. <laughs> what awesome. do you need on it? <laughs> oh, I can draw <laughs> motorcycles. I'll, t I'll talk to you about that. <laughs> Ooh. Awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk to you about that. Well, Let's get out of here. And again, Bagel, thank you for being the misfit that shows up. Um, oh, everyone's going to be coming back. I think Emma might be back next week. John's coming back, I think, next week. 
gym might be like everyone's out in the world doing stuff so don't worry everyone will be coming back we'll get back to our shenanigans so on that note let's get out of here thanks everyone this is Liza Bagel I'm Steph and we are out of here cool cool cool